the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing, Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. If you'd like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use if you start to use your line of credit. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up your line of credit is before you need it, uh, not when the emergency actually comes up. Considering it doesn't cost anything and it's economical when you do use it, it makes a lot of sense to get it in place just in case. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Eric Resslier from Cosmic. Eric is the founder and creative director uh, of uh, Cosmic, a social impact creative agency. Eric empowers social impact organizations to catalyze real world change by helping them nail their impact story, build brand awareness, and inspire action. Eric, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, so uh, I usually start off with a, 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 well, today's topic is brand building and visual identity for nonprofits. From your experience, when do nonprofits start thinking about their actual brand and visual identity? Well, there's when nonprofits typically start thinking about it and when they should start thinking yeah. about it. And those not, are two very same, different right? times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, often in our experience, the answer is too late um, or not as early as they should, as you, you might um, infer from my answer. So we believe that building a brand is critical to the overall success and ability for a nonprofit organization to scale. Uh, similar to how most organizations scale and build brand awareness and start to build a coalition. So oftentimes in the nonprofit sector, uh, brand building seems like something that is for corporations or profit-driven organizations that are trying to market and sell products. But we believe and what we've seen is that brand building is equally important, if not more important, for organizations that serve a social impact or a social purpose. And it really comes back to more than just uh, your visual identity and your logo and your look and feel and your tone of voice um, as an organization. All those things are really important as well. But when we think about brand building, we take it a lot. Um, we look at it from a much bigger perspective, really thinking about what is your theory of change? What is your position within the ecosystem of other organizations serving the same sector or the same issue area or focus area? And to take it a step back further, we find ourselves in this time and place in culture where we live in this attention economy, where so many of us are bombarded with information all the time. Information is free and flowing. And now the scarcity is really how do you capture and sustain people's attention? And if you can't do that, then it's going to be really hard for you as an organization to really 
start to make an impact in the way that you're hoping to uh, to achieve your mission. And that might be for a large coalition, but it might even be for a small group of really important influencers or policymakers. So we really look at it from the very beginning around you need to understand this time and place we're in of this attention economy and all of your strategies, including how you build your brand, really need to flow from that understanding. Yeah, I, th- I think... I kind of grasp the idea of how small organizations start to get involved in brand awareness and brand identity. I mean, I think either, so you're an executive director, you come into an existing nonprofit and it's a mess. And so the last thing you're thinking about is your brand and your, you know, uh, your brand identity. You come in, you kind of put out the fires, you address staff turnover, uh, you, you're addressing fundraising, uh, and then the same thing goes for a new nonprofit, right? You, you're kind of building the organization. And then once you kind of have these, uh, these, uh, pieces going in the right direction, then you start saying, okay, I don't like the way, you know, my website doesn't match my the letters we send out, the logo is not professional. It doesn't really say what, it doesn't mean anything to us. It doesn't say anything. You kind of start off at these, at that, those roads. What, what does brand awareness, what does um, all of the, the things associated with your image, what effect does that have on your overall operation? It has a huge effect, but I'm going to push back a little bit on that definition of brand again, because I think that is the common understanding of what a brand is. And again, all of those things are important elements of a brand, but they're not comprehensive of what a brand actually should be. So in the first scenario, when a a nonprofit executive director is coming in to essentially kind of, you know, turn things around at a nonprofit thinking about brand after all the real work is done, which is kind of how you frame that is the mistake. Yeah. And I think what we really are trying to educate this sector around is that brand building needs to be a huge, important pillar of your overall strategy, especially if you start to think about brand as being bigger than just your image. So when we think about brand, again, we're thinking about your niche in the ecosystem we're thinking about how you position yourself. We're thinking about what it is that you stand for and how you articulate that both to the outside world, but even more importantly, to your own team and your own staff. What we see a lot of times in the nonprofit sector, and there's a lot of reasons for this, is this kind of concept of mission creep where a nonprofit may start in one direction. And because of how funding is happening through grants and programs, it starts to kind of branch out and all of a sudden it's kind of doing all these things that are loosely tied to its mission, but don't really work synergistically with one another. So that would be a brand problem, not because there's an image problem, although there might also be an image problem, but because there's a lack of clarity of purpose for that organization. Even if they have a mission statement, if their program work and their staff doesn't really understand how all these pieces fit together, then how are they supposed to work cohesively as a team. So that's kind of the first thing I'll say around all of that. When you start to get clarity around your purpose and you have a team that's aligned around that and you understand how your work fits within the larger organization and when your organization is saying one thing and doing the same thing, which is really what integrity around branding and messaging 
comes down to at the end of the day, then when you start to actually articulate that in a brand narrative or an impact story, and you start to use some of the tactics of brand building through messaging and communications and marketing, that's where we start to see everything click and work synergistically. And if all of those pieces aren't in place, it's really hard for it to work, which is, I think, why there are so many issues with this particular skill set within the nonprofit sector is that all of the pieces have to be working synergistically and often at least one of those areas is broken. So once you have all of that aligned and you have a very clear purpose and a clear positioning for your organization, you can start to work on some of the things that people consider branding more traditionally, like your image, your logo, your colors, your fonts, what you say, how you say it. When we think about a brand, we think about basically how do you show up in the world? And it's not enough to just have um, you know, a sleek website and nice colors and something that looks professional, although that's really important. Um, a lot of how people assess the credibility, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, of an organization is around how they show up. Um, but beyond that, it's really about how do you, once you have all of that, what do you do with it? And going back to this concept of the attention economy, we believe that in order to kind of play effectively within that that paradigm, you also really have to become a digital media company. You need to be producing ongoing, timely, relevant, educational, inspiring content so that you can continuously provide value to your audience and give them opportunities to get engaged and to move up this this engagement pyramid which we can talk about yeah I, I um, the the example I gave before was the I think the typical example of what goes on but I think that you know the most important thing that someone should do if they're coming into a new organization is start off at the brand awareness, I, you know, maybe there's a better terminology than brand awareness because understanding who you are and who you want to be, I think it just drives everything in the organization. It drives, and it actually streamlines things. I think it, it forces you to say too, uh, we're not going to do this and put all this effort into this thing over here because it, you know, it doesn't fit into what our awareness and our brand is and what we're trying to be. And it's, so it saves you time. And, and also it doesn't, it make the quality of your work so much better. Yeah. All that completely resonates with me and what we've seen in our experience working with these organizations. If you are under-resourced or you are over capacity, the last thing you want to do is not have a clarity of priorities and what you should be focusing on. And if you don't have clarity around what I would call brand positioning, especially coming from the business world, that would be referred to as positioning. How do you fit within the market? How do you differentiate from other people's in the market? It's a little different in the social impact or nonprofit sector because people who are doing similar work aren't necessarily competitors. They're actually usually partners. Right. But that doesn't mean it's not still really important to have your unique strengths and your unique positioning as an organization really figured out. And it's something that I think because there's not as much competition, although there still is for funding in certain ways, but it's not the same as in the corporate sector. It's really easy to kind of um, write that part off, but it's even more important. And so the, the metaphor that we use is really the niche in the ecosystem. So if you're working on climate action, there's a bunch of different organizations working on climate action at regional scale, uh, national, international scale. 
and there's a bunch of it's a huge space, right? Um, so how do you as an organization working on climate action, what's your niche in the ecosystem? What are the unique strengths that you bring as an organization that no one else is bringing or not or not in the same way that you are, at least? And so really getting clear around your unique offering as an organization, getting very clear around who are you serving? Who are you influencing? Who are you asking to create behavior change with? All of those questions are fundamental to building a solid brand strategy as an organization. So there's the kind of brand positioning or niche and ecosystem uh, metaphor that's kind of the fundamental element of this. And then from there, you can start to work on building brand awareness because until you have clarity around your positioning, you don't even know who to build awareness with. Yeah, I mean... I've done a lot of podcasts about grants and winning grants and those type of things. I mean, and it just the first example that kind of came to my mind is, you know, everybody wants to have a, you know, 80, 90% hit ratio between applying for grants and winning. Right. And once you get really good, that's, that's achievable. Um, and, but the, the brand positioning, so to speak, it really allows you to apply for the grants where you have the best chance of winning because you're like, this is what your grant wants. And this is exactly what we do. And the reverse is true. It's like, they're looking for this and that's not even close to what we do. So you're, you know, the, the resources are limited for grants writing. And, and here you have a good example of really zeroing in because just because of all the, the work you did with brand positioning, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that speaks to your point around essentially efficiency. Um, And I think it's really more than just efficiency. That kind of sells it short. It's really about, again, the term I always use is clarity of purpose. So if you know who you are, it becomes really easy to know what to say yes to and what to say no to and how to essentially just kind of spend your energy and your effort and your your brain space and that becomes so much more impactful than just the time savings it's really about reducing decision fatigue and context switching and you know we've worked with organizations all the time where every email is an existential crisis because they don't know who it's for what they're really trying to do with it and they're trying to tick all these boxes all at once and that's just one example, but yeah, for grant writing, for staffing, for where to um, you know allocate the resources that you do have, all of that needs to stem from brand positioning. And when you really get clear about that, it makes all of the little micro and macro decisions so much easier and so much more obvious. And you can take the energy that you would have spent on wrestling with that and apply it to actually just getting the work done. So it's really a fundamental shift. And I think it's one that um, a lot of times people, they don't even know they need to do that um, because they're just focused on the mission and the impact and what they see as the better future that they're trying to build. But if you don't have a plan and essentially a brand strategy around how your organization with your strengths and your team and your resources are going to actually make progress towards that mission, then it's just going to be messy the whole way through. And that's where you start to see, yeah, a lot of grant um, you know, rejections coming your way, um, an inability to attract donors and supporters who stick and, and continue to donate. And when you look at a lot of the organizations that have had the, the most success, whether or not they did this formally or informally, 
they have a very clear brand positioning and they have a really clear understanding of their their priorities, their purpose, and how they fit into the ecosystem. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think most organizations that maybe, Eric, you've come across and, and either that you worked with or maybe early in your career worked for, and, and the same goes for me, um, the one, the companies that you admire or the company that you were impressed with the ones the most are just dynamite at execution, right? And I, I don't think you can be great at execution if you haven't done the legwork of, and I, I think branding is the wrong word, right? It's because I think, you know, I think it's about, like you said earlier, knowing who you are, knowing what your purpose is, knowing where you're going, and knowing how you're going to get there and the knowing how you're going to get there is the execution part. Aren't those the best companies and the ba- the best nonprofits to work with? Absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, the term I would, I would use is brand strategy or brand positioning. And so a lot of times when you say branding, again, you know, people think of the logo and they think of, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the words and um, maybe the brand promise or the tone and all those elements are important too. But yeah, I, I think that you're totally right that those organizations that see the most success that we admire the most and the ones I think um, an important point to, to kind of touch on the ones that we build emotional relationships with where we have a feeling about them more than just an, a, a logical connection to those are the ones where it just seems effortless that everything they do is just right and consistent. But there's usually a lot of work behind the scenes that happens for organizations to get there. And, you know, it's all of it. I I wish there were a silver bullet for this, but it's leadership, it's the team, it's, but it is sitting down and doing the the hard work that um, it's not too late if you've done, if you're an organization that's, you know, five, 10, 20, 30 years down the path and haven't done this work, it's never too late to do this. And in fact, the longer you wait, the longer it's going to be for you to start to get the benefit of doing this work, similar to planting, you know, a tree for fruit, right? Like if you haven't planted it yet, it doesn't mean you shouldn't plant one now because it's going to take 10 years for it to start to fruit or whatever. So I think um, it is really critical. And once this element is done, then there's all kinds of uh, additional work that needs to be done from a brand building and brand awareness perspective, because the other big fallacy that people fall into is like, okay, we're going to do this really important foundational work and it's going to have a great impact and it does but you also have to have a strategy for what we would call distribution or communications so how once you have that clarity of purpose and you have that clear direction and your brand strategy strategy as an organization how are you going to get people to actually hear that message and having a strategy for that is is equally important the fallacy is that if we build it they will come fallacy I, I really like case studies to learn. I, I just think that real world examples are, are very, very helpful. And so maybe you could pull from your experience um, where, where your organization Cosmic uh, kind of went in and, you know, maybe the best example is where you went into a situation where they had no strategy. They had no brand awareness. They had no brand strategy. They really hadn't done anything about it. You know, so let me prompt you through the first question. Who 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 brought you in? You mean a particular use case here? Yes. Uh, so oh. 
you know, pick a company who was it? Was it the executive director? Was it the board? Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. You know, who, 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 who brought you in on this particular question that you're going to kind of talk to us about? Okay. Yeah. I have an example. I don't know that it's going to hit exactly all of your um, requirements around them having no strategy because I don't think that's actually usually common. Oh. And the example that I want to bring up, um, I think will serve us longer term for the conversation. So I'll, I'll answer the question directly. So we were brought in by essentially the organization's um, digital communication strategist. Oh, and okay. this person, uh, his name is Benjamin Eckhart, and he comes from uh basically doing political campaigns in, in New York. And the organization that um, I'm referring to is called the Romero Institute. One of the programs that we are working on and continue to work with um, them to this day is for the Lakota People's Law Project. They represent um, the Lakota people and indigenous community. They were really um, uh, in the news a lot because they um, were part of the Dakota Access Pipeline um, you know, a, a movement against the Dakota Access Pipeline, the No Dapple movement. And so um, oftentimes, by the time an organization like Cosmic is being brought in, we find that there is at least one internal champion at the organization who understands the value of this work and um, is usually, uh, if not at the leadership level, very highly connected to and influential with the, the leadership team at the organization. So then he he came to you and he he said what? Well, this is going to be a little complicated because we've done work over a number of their programs, but I'll try and keep it simple. So basically, they'd seen a lot of success um, with regards to engaging their community through social media, but they needed a lot of work on their core brand. So everything from their their brand narrative, their brand story, through their visual identity, their logo, their look and feel, their colors, it just didn't... Um, it didn't stack up to the good work they were really authentically doing in the world. They had um, done this, this important work of being very clear about their brand positioning. So they knew that they were an advocacy-based organization. They knew that they were going to focus their efforts on um, indigenous rights, specifically through the lens of the um, Lakota people who they've had, you know, a, a 15 plus year relationship with in an authentic way where they, you know, had leaders from the Lakota people community informing and influencing their work in a way that was peer to peer and not the kind of like white horse, I'm going to come in and save your community. I don't understand anything about models. So they were doing the work authentically. They were, they had a very clear understanding of their, of their purpose. I think in our work together, we, we helped them get even more clear around how to position themselves, which I think was crucial. But a lot of the work that we did was around building out their brand identity, and then their digital infrastructure to support their engagement with their um, community. And so we can talk kind of more about that as, as you go through your questions. Now, when, when you started working on that project, um, did they have a committee that was set up to give you feedback, to, to kind of uh, not give you feedback, but uh, to try to, uh, to, you know, I, I would I would think that you would pose a lot of questions to them and help them kind of come up with their own strategy based on those questions. I, I don't know what your process was, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah. So I think this work happens best when there's a true collaboration. And the way that we always think about this when we're working with our clients is that 
we have expertise in our area of focus, which is essentially brand building and, and communications for social impact. But we also want to leverage and need to leverage the deep expertise that our clients have in their area of focus, which is doing the work and the boots on the ground work for whatever their mission is. And so it's a it's a mistake for us to come in and think, well, we know everything. We're experts. We're going to tell you how this is done. There's a certain level of that that we have experience around from doing this work for a number of organizations and all the cross-pollination and learning and expertise that we've developed over the years doing the work. But as designers, at the end of the day, you know, we need to employ basic design thinking principles like empathy and curiosity. If we come in thinking we know all the answers, we know all the solutions, we're going to just block ourselves from doing the most impactful work that we possibly can. So that's the way that we philosophically approach every project and every relationship with each client. To speak to kind of the community or the committee element of it, um, what we find is building a small team within our client organization of, you know, top level decision makers. It really like we love to have the executive director or the CEO in in a lot of our strategic meetings, especially we like to keep that group small so we don't get into like design by committee. So we typically shoot for depending on the size of the organization, three to five people. They may need to bring it back to the board or other um, stakeholders within the organization, but a tightly knit, dedicated group within the the organization that's going to be able to come along the journey with us and see the work through. Plus, you want to get buy-in, right? I mean, you, you have want. To. I mean, if it's not even just about buy-in, I mean, I, you know, one of the companies that I I I, um, I I had, we we did a really great branding project that I loved. But just we used a, a book, and the we actually used the author to help us. It, it, the name of the book is called The Inside Advantage, and it's written by Robert Bloom, who uh, just so everybody knows, Robert Bloom uh, was. Uh, the, the founder and CEO of the largest advertising agency in, in the world, uh, right when it was in the beginning. But I mean, we used him later. But um, but because we did all the work you're talking about, Eric, um, not only did the work become very authentic, but everybody at the top level who worked on the project really believed in it. And, you know, it really, I would tell you to this day out of in 30 years, that was the best project I ever did. You know, it was really amazing. And, and, and this was the difference too. I'll tell you, Eric. So prior to that, I had started um, three other companies and, you know, maybe I was about 15 years into my career, but I made sure I got this project uh, that we were working on in super early in the start of the company because I, I really thought that I, for all the reasons I said before is that we wanted to be very efficient and effective at our communication and our execution. And I, I really felt in my heart, this was the way to go. Just like kind of what you said, you know? Yeah. I'd love to ask, did you learn that lesson, so to speak, through not doing that with your first couple of companies and then doing it later and realizing the impact of it? No, I, it was a little bit of both. I mean, we, we always did a pretty good job of purpose, a mission, a culture. We did a really good job with that. Um, but I wanted to take it a step further in the traditional sense of branding 
And I didn't want to, I, I, so I wanted to, I had seen Robert Bloom in a, in a lecture and I was like, wow, he's really, the name of the book is called Inside Advantage because it wasn't that, which is, I mean, you, his principle was that you don't do this for the outside world. You do this for the inside, right? Exactly. And, and to me, that just made so much sense. And, and so when I was starting that company, you know, and again, this relates to nonprofits exactly. There's a lot of correlation that overlaps between a for-profit and a for uh, a nonprofit. We each can learn from one another. Um, but the the idea here was I wanted to get buy-in from my staff. I wanted to do quality work, right? And we wanted all our communication to be saying what we believed. And so it kind of took a lot of what we had done before and wrapped it all into this beautiful package. And it, it really was good work. Yeah. Excellent. That all resonates. And I, I think oftentimes people do think it's the branding and, and communications is only for image and you're outside, but it's so much more than that. It's, and, and that's something that oftentimes our clients don't even come to us understanding or, or thinking. And, and it's almost just kind of a bonus that they get that we do try and kind of educate them on that at the beginning of the process. And I think people are always kind of like, yeah, that sounds nice and everything. But really, this is for the outside. And then we go through the process. And they're like, wow, this was so much more impactful yeah. than I even realized it would be in a positive way. Um, and it's really hard work. It's not to say that it's going to be no. easy. This is, um, this is, yeah, existential for the organization. And it was funny because like, so what happened was I got the book, I read the book, I had seen him, I see, I saw him a lecture and, and then I was like, wow, this is really good. So I, I went to my management team and I said, I want everyone to read this book and everyone read it. And, um, I don't know if the time, if they were as gun ho about it as I was, I'm not saying they weren't. Um, I think some of them saw the vision, some of them didn't, you know, somewhere in between. And then we said, well, I said, you know, honestly, I said, let's try to do it because let's try to do this, what he's talking about. So we, we were going along and we had a couple of meetings and, it, and the progress was slow. And I called up Robert and I said, you know, this is kind of where we are. Um, you know, what would it cost for you to come in and, and help us? And, and it was super reasonable. And boy, within, in one meeting, he brought us to where it would have taken us 10 meetings to struggle. It was so worth it. And that's where, you know, I think Cosmic, your organization is so helpful for that because, you know, you, you just save yourself so, so much time and money by kind of getting right to the, the heart and soul of something. Yeah, I think that speaks to just the, the value of having external advisors, whether it's for branding or other elements of your organization, because you're so, and we have the same thing for us. We bring on external advisors to do work that we do for our clients because that outside perspective is just so valuable and it's, it's irreplicable. You can't do it when you're in doing the work, you just get lost in it and you can't see the forest through the trees anymore. And so I do think a lot of our value and the value of external consultants and advisors in general 
is that they can come in with a fresh perspective. They can see your blind spots in ways that you can't if they do their work well. They have broader expertise around doing similar things for other organizations and applying some of that cross-learning or cross-pollination. So it's not always um, the best approach. I, I do also believe strongly in building out internal capacity on communications as, as a growth element for organizations in the social impact space. Um, but it's not an either or. It really works best when you invest internally on this and also have a solid team of external advisors or an agency to kind of help with some of the heavier lifting and the the bigger picture perspective as well. Yeah, and I'll add to that too. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think one of the things that you bring to the table too, like uh, someone from the outside is like you're doing this with a lot of other organizations and you can kind of, use that knowledge to help my organization. Whereas, you know, with in my organization, all I know is my organization. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's that that incredible value that someone from the outside, regardless if it's an accountant, if it's a strategic person, if it's a branding person, if it's a, a grant, uh, someone's helping with grants, they can really kind of say, well, yeah, this company, this organization is doing this. And that's, you know, that's similar to what you you can do as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's called pattern matching. So as you develop expertise within a focus area and you start to have a broader experience of seeing the same patterns show up, either positive patterns or negative patterns within organizations, you can pretty quickly come into a new scenario and, and diagnose where there are strengths and where there are opportunities. And so, okay, we know that successful organizations in this space should have roughly this many kind of email subscribers. We know that these are the elements that are important for the brand. We know this is how the team needs to be structured for it all to work. And you can just start to kind of stack any organization up against those metrics. And they're not set in stone. There's not only one prescribed solution or process, but there are some broader themes and pillars of this work that um, we can assess organizations on. And whether it's the work that we do or yeah, for fundraising or grant writing, there's similar things. And yeah, the concept is pattern matching and and it really starts to, I mean, I think we've been doing this work as an agency for about 11 years. We've been doing it only for social impact for about four and it took us about a couple years to really start to see those patterns clearly and, and doing, you know, many, many projects with many organizations each year. So one of the things that we talked about early on is to get involved in your branding strategy early, right? Um, and and I think one of the keys is to like, by listening to this today's podcast, is to start to become aware of various branding parts that you should be thinking about for your business. You know, I think like awareness is one of the critical factors, right? So where would you start? Where, like if, if you're running a, a, an organization that's a nonprofit, smaller, and you're like, you know, I listen to Eric, I believe in what he's saying, where, where would you start? So it kind of depends where you are in the journey, but let's let's say you uh, everything's happened kind of in a piecemeal organic way. So the, the the first piece really again is to start with this element of positioning or the niche in the ecosystem. So first thing is get really clear about your strengths and be 
be brutally honest here, um, not your aspirations, but where are you today? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And what are the unique things that your organization is qualified to bring to the table within your area of focus? How are you different from other organizations doing that um, similar work in the same space? Um, how are you the same? And just getting really clear about that. From there, I would look at who are we actually trying to to reach and to affect, um, both in terms of like, are there populations that we're trying to improve their lives, underserved populations? Are we trying to affect policy? How are we going to actually affect change in the world? You know, there's a, a common framework for this called a theory of change that a lot of nonprofits may have done exercises for. Um, it doesn't need to be a schematic style, super deep 30 page research paper on this. In fact, like I'd like you to be able to tell me your theory of change in a couple sentences in a way that I'd understand it, even if I weren't in the space, but having some kind of plan for how are we going to affect change and who do we need to reach in order to do that? And so we are big fans of breaking out um, our audience into, into some basic segments grouped not based on their demographics because we think that that's um a bit of a fallacy in general but more around the actions that you're asking people to take so usually there's um funders or donors or supporters there may be some different segments of like major um, donors versus grassroots supporters there might be partners there might be influencers or policymakers. you know it really again kind of depends on your organization but just getting really clear about like who are the people that you're trying to affect and collaborate with in order to do this work and develop, you know, the three to five key messaging points that you want to really get across to those people um, and put them in bullet points. Like, again, like we don't want these things to be uh, huge documents. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is like the longer a strategic document gets, the less useful it becomes. So yeah. really distill these things down into their key points to the point that you can memorize them, that you don't need to reference the strategic document. So that's kind of the foundational work. Um, and then from there, it's really about building out, um, especially these days, a digital infrastructure to support all of those foundational elements. So really, when we start to think about, and this kind of starts to touch on distribution or brand awareness, all of that happens, or most of that happens digitally these days. And there may be some real world elements to it through events, through collateral. You know, we're not against sending out physical appeals or mailers. Um, that can be an important element of the strategy. But if you're not thinking about this from a digital first perspective, um, you're just doing it wrong. It's 2021. And, you know, through the last couple of years, especially, there's been a huge digital acceleration. And even people that we hold most dear to us in our lives, we're primarily communicating through digital channels today. And so building out that digital infrastructure is really important. And there's really three kind of core pillars to that um, digital first culture. The first is, um, is culture, is starting to accept that as an organization, we're going to be digital first in our approach. We're going to think about our digital communications and our digital infrastructure as um, being very foundational to doing the work and not this kind of thing that happens at the end if we have time and budget, which we don't ever have extra time or budget because we're a nonprofit. So that's kind of the first element of it is that kind of culture piece. Um, the second element of it is the technology is actually having the infrastructure to support that culture. So that means having a solid website that's not just a digital brochure, but that's actually um, uh, an experience that allows supporters to get involved and to actually take action, which we can touch on in more detail. 
And then all of the supplemental channels of social and owned and earned and paid media that's actually driving people back to that digital hub that you're building out. So um, if you think about your marketing efforts as a flywheel, your website, your owned entity of the website that you have the most control over and ownership over is the kind of the hub of that flywheel. And then the third element that feeds all of that is content, because if you don't have ongoing, valuable content that is engaging, that's inspiring, that's activating, then you have this machine, but you're not giving it any gasoline. So those are kind of the three elements. Um, And I think that those elements are equally critical for grassroots campaigns where you're trying to reach and affect thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people, as if you're trying to reach a smaller group of influencers or policymakers. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you this question. I don't, I, I, you probably must think about it, but where do you think nonprofits are going to have to be? Where are they going to go in 10 to 20 years from now? I mean, digital is now. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you can't say, uh, well, more digital, right? What, where do you think it's going? Well, I hope it's not the metaverse, <laughs> but yeah. it might be, um, which is maybe timely for this recording, but you know, it's really it's an interesting question because it's a predict the future question, right? Which which um, I'm not usually in the business of doing. But what I would say is that there is this we're in a very interesting time where kind of the lines are blurring between nonprofit and social impact and corporations and B corps and there's this and I think it's driven by a lot of things. I think it's driven by the course of just where we are in humanity and all of the inequities that are being like, just really just like shoved into our faces on a daily basis at this point through the pandemic and through racial justice issues and inequities that we're reckoning with as a, as a country and as, as um, you know, a species essentially the environmental destruction and um, the climate action work that we need to do in order to survive literally as a species it's not um it's no longer something that we can pretend isn't happening and it's more directly impactful into our lives than it's ever been and so i think that culturally it's not like there's the corporate sector that's profit driven and there's the nonprofit sector that you know picks up the pieces from all the destruction of the corporate sector like it's not that cut and dry anymore and so where does that leave us it leaves us in a place where there's a generation of conscious consumers and people who want to see the world be more fair, be more equitable, who want to see our leaders and our corporations and our institutions moving towards a place of positive growth that values human life and well-being and, and environmental well-being above profit and you know market cap and growth for the sake of growth. And so where that leaves everyone, I don't know. Um, At the end of the day, the best place we could possibly be, in my opinion, is if there were no nonprofit sector, because these issues were all solved through just the way of doing business and the way of living as society. Is that going to happen in 10 or 20 years? I don't even see it coming close to happening in the next 10 to 20 years based on the trajectory we're on right now. Um, But ultimately, these are problems that exist because They haven't been solved by government. They haven't been solved by the corporate sector. A lot of times they've been caused by one or two of those sectors. And so this is kind of the third sector that's left to pick up 
the pieces of the most difficult intractable issues in our society and it's underfunded and it's kind of a, a, a nice feel good thing to do if you've got time. And I think that is shifting. So what I think that means is I think we need to, as a culture, invest in these organizations more than we're investing in Apple and Netflix and Nike and some of these more corporate entities that provide things that we want and need, but sometimes at the expense of the greater good of humanity. Um, And so I'd love to see a nonprofit sector that gets out of the scarcity mindset um, and is able to because it's properly resourced and starts to think and act um, and learn from some of the practices of the world's greatest companies, but apply that knowledge and those practices to furthering humanity instead of just selling products. Yeah, I I get what you're going where you're going with that too. I I don't think I know enough about um branding and stuff like that, but it seems like to me like instead of like there's just two examples came to my mind. The first one was instead of Starbucks being known as a coffee drink company, right? That they th- that one of their brand recognitions would have something more in their coffee drink branding. So they, they no, they no longer partner with nonprofits. They are a nonprofit that is known for whatever it is that they want to be associated with. So like, and what made me think about that the other day is like, I try, I buy a lot of Newman's own uh, products. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a pretty unique model, you know, because 100 percent of their profits go back to uh, nonprofits. Right. And it's a quality really, really. The reason why I like Newman's own is, is because it's really high quality. They try not to use hydro- hydrogenated oil, um, uh, you know, uh, some other reasons, too. But, you know, so I can think where you're what you're saying is that. um there is there's less there's less of a make more profit motive just for the sake of making profit. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really you quickly get into a very deep ethical dilemma around this work and and you know, it it's a balance just like most things because you know, people want coffee and and that's okay. Coffee's great. I love coffee. I think what it is though is really at, at at the very base level, just like corporate accountability around, okay, what's our supply chain look like? Are we exploiting a group of people to get this coffee? Are we paying people fair wages, living wages, um, both, you know, with the growers and our staff who are, are you know, baristas and, and people working at our stores? Like, so just looking at holistically the impact of the organization and putting profits aside in this assessment at some level, I don't, I'm not anti-profit. Profit is to an extent an indication of the health of a business, but that doesn't necessarily mean that profit is always good because if you're profitable because you're exploiting people along the way, then some of that profit is really just fake because you're you're just taking it from people who are part of the process of making your product or selling your service. So I think if you're an organization that is authentically 
um, responsible and uh, both for people and for the planet and you're paying your staff well and you're not exploiting people to make your product or sell your service and you're still profitable at the end and you want to take that profit to invest in um, you know, research and development or to invest in whatever you need to grow the business and to further your impact, that's great. That's a social impact organization. You know, B Corp is trying to um, codify what that means. And so I, I, I think that's where things are going. Where it's a slippery slope is that businesses are, because they see that trajectory and they see that there is this um, demand in the market for corporations to be responsible and to do more than just provide a product that people love, but to do it in a way that's socially and ethically responsible for people and for the planet, they're trying to use that cause marketing and greenwashing as a way to attract those people without actually doing the hard work of making sure they're they're not having a, a negative impact on society. So it's it's a interesting time to kind of see where this is going because I do think we're at this kind of um, impasse or this inflection point around how we structure our society in a way that's actually equitable for everyone. Yeah, well, it's all good stuff. I think, you know, it's all we're coming a long way in the last hundred years, right? I think the trajectory is good and, you know, we're we're not where we should be. Um, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. But the fact that it's even in the zeitgeist to the level that it is today, I think is a promising a promising element of all of this. If this were happening and no one were talking about it, we'd be in a way, way worse position than we yeah. are today. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's all the time we have for today. It was a great discussion. Um, I would like to thank so very much, Eric Ressler. Did I pronounce that right? Ressler? It's Ressler, but that's okay. Ressler. Yeah. <laughs> Cosmic for coming on to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your pack podcasting app to help us get the word out. The nonprofit MBA has become extremely popular. I'm very proud of the work. The guests that we have come on are excellent. And if you think uh, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Eric, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So the best place to go would be to our website. And our website is designbycosmic.com. And I just want to point to a couple key resources briefly that I think could be really helpful for nonprofits interested in kind of taking this um, these concepts into practice. So one, we have a manifesto that we published that kind of outlines our perspective on how this work should be done that you can find at the top. There's just a tab called manifesto. We also publish a number of free insights on our site, articles, white papers, free downloads. Um, and there's an insights tab on the top of our site that you can navigate to to get all of that great information. Um, I also do office hours um, for free that you can book with me. So if you just email me, E-R-I-C at designbycosmic.com, I'd be happy to send you a scheduling scheduling link for that. And really, Open Door would love to connect with any organizations doing this work that um, feel like we could be valuable. Oh, I like that. It's all good stuff. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Stephen. Enjoy the conversation. And for all of you that are out there, um, you guys are all making this world a better place. Eric and I, all we all need to do our part. And because you guys are out there doing the heavy lifting 
And I just want to say thank you and everybody have a fantastic day.